When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, if you like this podcast, go behind the paywall to get privileged access to the smartest minds in finance. Join the Real Vision community and learn how to become a better investor. Visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code podcast10 to get 10% off our central membership for the first year. And now to today's episode. The signals are telling me to watch the Federal Reserve decision making around the balance sheet. The upcoming decision on whether to continue with quantitative tightening will be of major relevance to most asset classes. Steno Signals starts right now. Hi guys and welcome to this fourth edition of Steno Signals. I'm still overwhelmed by the feedback we've received on the first three editions of this show. Thank you very much for all of the comments. I will try to answer as many as possible on an ongoing basis, so please keep them coming after this show as well. We've had three major themes so far in this show during 2023. First of all, the disinflation in the US, CPI coming down in year-over-year terms. We've had a theme on the Chinese reopening, and we've had a theme on dollar liquidity. And I've promised you to provide an update on the themes on an ongoing basis. So let's have a look at the developments in inflation first. I think we've received new interesting evidence of abating wage pressures over the past week, we, um, we see signs of abating wage pressures in posted job openings. So we can measure that uh, via the Indeed Hiring Lab indicator. Uh, and it is usually a very good early indicator of the Atlanta Fed wage tracker, which is essentially one of the most important gauges of wage growth in the US and one of the gauges that the Federal Reserve will look at on an ongoing basis. And Clearly now we see a fading trend in the wage growth relative to just a few quarters back. And I think this is one of the first signs we need to see before we can convincingly call a top in service inflation. So the inflation in healthcare, education and other employee intensive sectors. Um, and that is of great relevance to the Fed outlook a few months down the road. For now, they will stick to their guns and continue hiking interest rates. But if we get fading price pressures in the service sector, this is probably the first sign of a pause from the Federal Reserve. So I continue to lean that way. The inflation outlook is waning in the US, despite an increase in gasoline prices, uh, because the broad basket is now showing signs of deceleration 
not least in wage growth, which is of great importance to the Fed reaction function down the road. And we'll get back to that exact reaction function because it will get very interesting in a few months from now, not least when it comes to the decision-making on the balance sheet size of the Federal Reserve. We know how important it is to equities and to other asset classes. So if the Fed will allow the balance sheet to run off continuously over summer. It is something that we need to watch. And I think they've given us a hint that the quantitative tightening program will be allowed to run for longer. But more about that in just a second, because I want to show you a few charts on the Chinese reopening as well. We discussed a few weeks back whether it was a grand reopening or not. Um, and I think it's safe to say by now that China is open for business. Um, I've borrowed a chart from one of my great friends, Warren Pies, um, who's on top of the uh, traffic uh, and transportation developments in China. Uh, and it is crystal clear by now that the flight activity is back to what I will call normalized levels in China. Uh, we are running at the swiftest pace of daily flights in China in over a year. Uh, and to me, that is a great signal that China is actually open. Whether the economy is back um, at full speed is another question. I think it's kind of doubtful still, but we, we have early hints of spillovers to economies with a clear tie or link rather uh, to the industrial parts of China. We received the latest set of purchasing manager indices out of Europe this week and we saw a bounce in the German PMI relative to the French PMI. And I think that is interesting given that Germany is clearly a country with closer ties to the Chinese economy relative to the French economy. And therefore, this bounce in German activity relative to French activity may be a clear signal that China is at least gaining speed relative to uh, what we saw just a few months back. And we still have uh, clear spillovers to relative uh, pricing in asset markets and equity markets from this Chinese reopening. We've had a massive start to the year in European equities as a consequence of this reopening. We have clear spillovers to the commodity space. Industrial metals are performing, as I uh, basically highlighted a few weeks back. And energy is also moving um, not to the same extent in equity space, but energy commodities are on the move as a consequence of this Chinese reopening as well. So I think it's safe to say that China is open. Whether it's a huge economic comeback is still questionable. Uh, and I think it ultimately boils down to the question whether the clients of China in the West will regain momentum during the spring. And I still have my doubts around that question. Uh, we will get back to why in just a short while. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. The third topic of relevance so far in 2023 is the topic of dollar liquidity. I went through how the debt ceiling will ultimately end up adding liquidity to dollar markets counterintuitively as a consequence of the U.S. Treasury 
being forced to draw down on its reserves at the Federal Reserve due to this debt ceiling now being in force. So the Treasury general account is now at roughly $330 billion. So we've had another addition of dollar liquidity from that account to commercial banks over the course of the past 10 days as a consequence of the U.S. Treasury basically spending cash they have idle at the Federal Reserve uh, as a consequence of the debt ceiling, they will have to bring the level of this Treasury general account below $100 billion ahead of the ultimate deadline, the so-called crossover date, the date where the U.S. Treasury is no longer able to pay bills. And that date is probably um, only three to four months away. Uh, the best um, assessment we have uh, of the crossover date right now is from the U.S. Treasury itself, and they aim at a crossover date in June uh, if they exhaust all extraordinary measures. And I want to highlight the words extraordinary measures again. I briefly touched upon the extraordinary measures they now take in last week's edition of Status Signals. But it is important to note that the U.S. Treasury can still issue debt even with the debt ceiling being in force. It is a consequence of extraordinary measures that they take now. For example, they can issue debt to the same extent as they have holdings in the so-called government securities investment fund, so the G fund. And uh, that is a pension fund for uh, public employees of the U.S. administration. Um, and the pension fund holds U.S. treasuries. Um, and the U.S. Treasury is now allowed, as a consequence of these extraordinary measures, to issue debt to the same extent as this fund holds U.S. Treasuries to counter that. Uh, and we know that uh, the fund currently holds roughly $270 billion U.S. dollars worth of U.S. Treasuries. So the U.S. Treasury will be allowed to issue, for example, Treasury bills um, when they counter that with the holdings of the government security fund. Uh, and that is of relevance for the issuance outlook over the coming months. The U.S. Treasury will continue to issue new debt despite this debt ceiling. So let me just emphasize that they can still issue debt for another couple of months outside of emptying their cash balance at the Federal Reserve, which is a liquidity addition to private banks, as private banks will be re on the receiving end of the dollar liquidity when the U.S. Treasury decides to bring um, down this cash balance at the Federal Reserve. And interestingly, we have um, new hints coming up from the Federal Reserve with regards to the balance sheet development. Uh, I've introduced the so-called Waller rule over the course of the week. And it relates to a speech given by Chris Waller, one of the members of the FOMC, just last week. Um, he talked about whether the Federal Reserve will continue withdrawing liquidity from dollar markets via the so-called quantitative tightening program now that the economic growth momentum is starting to vein. And his rule of thumb is that the amount of dollar liquidity in the system needs to be roughly equal to 10% of the gross domestic product for it to be in balance. And currently, there are more dollar reserves in the financial system uh, relative to the rule of thumb of 10% of the gross domestic product, which basically means that the Federal Reserve will continue to withdraw dollar liquidity month after month in this quantitative tightening program. 
This is a counter effect to what I just described from the US Treasury. The US Treasury will add liquidity while the Fed will withdraw liquidity at the same time. Net-net, we should still expect a liquidity injection over the course of February and March. But when we get closer to summer, the net-net equation will turn negative for dollar liquidity again, as long as the Federal Reserve will continue its quantitative tightening program. To reach this rule of thumb of 10% of the gross domestic product, we need to bring reserves or dollar liquidity down to levels around 2.55 to 2.6 trillion US dollars. And we are currently stuck at above $3 trillion. So they will have to withdraw in between, in between 5 and 600 billion worth of dollar liquidity from now and until the end of the QT program. And on my calculations, we will reach this equilibrium of 10% of GDP in between week 30 and week 40, uh, so towards the early autumn. Uh, and at that point in time, it is clear that the Federal Reserve will have to discuss whether to continue with dollar liquidity withdrawals. But it still means that we have dollar liquidity withdrawals ahead after this short-term injection of liquidity from the U.S. Treasury. Uh, and last week, I highlighted how a liquidity injection is positive for equity markets, negative for the U.S. dollar. An ongoing dollar liquidity withdrawal into the autumn will have the opposite effect. So ultimately, it will prove to be dollar positive, likely, and also negative for risk assets. I've tried to paint the path forward for dollar liquidity relative to the S&P 500 on this chart. Uh, and it is based on my forecasts for dollar liquidity, taking US Treasury liquidity into account, taking the quantitative tightening program into account, and taking effects from the so-called overnight reverse repo facility into account. Those are the three main drivers of dollar liquidity. And as you can see from the chart, we have a short-term spike, which is um, positive for equity markets. But as we get on the other side of this debt ceiling, we will see substantial liquidity withdrawals in a matter of months. Uh, and towards October uh, and into the um, ultimate part of the year, we will get to new lows in dollar liquidity for the past couple of years, which also means on most recent correlations that we will ultimately see new lows in equity markets as a consequence of this dollar liquidity withdrawal. This is a very tight correlation between dollar liquidity and the S&P 500 since 2020, so basically since the pandemic. Um, the correlation is not as tight if you look further back, um, so bear that in mind. But the short-term correlation has been extremely tight. Uh, and if I'm right that liquidity will have to dwindle until um, the autumn, it may be worthwhile looking into more defensive strategies on the other side of this short-term liquidity injection from the uh, U.S. Treasury, which will probably allow equities to to um, to have a few decent months ahead still. And if we look at the link between dollar liquidity and ultimately the recession, then I would argue that um, a withdrawal of dollar liquidity is bad news for the economy overall, since it leads to less risk-taking fewer projects, fewer investments as a consequence of the price of liquidity increasing. Uh, and therefore, there is a link between dollar liquidity and interest rates, first of all. If liquidity is withdrawn, it's typically a positive for um, interest rates and credit spreads. Um, and therefore, ultimately, 
I think even though we currently uh, we're currently stuck in a in a discussion on whether this will end up in a soft landing, I think we should ultimately expect the recession to arrive in the second half of the year uh, as a consequence of this liquidity withdrawal. Uh, and there is a tight link between interest rates and the economic activity in between twelve and eighteen months after that increase in interest rates. And um, we are yet to see the worst part of that impulse uh, on the economy from rising interest rates. The chart I show here is the relationship between 10 and, uh, and two-year bond yields in the US and the subsequent activity in the ISM manufacturing index. And as you can see from the light blue line, we will um, be faced with headwinds into the autumn as a consequence of already delivered rate hikes and uh, credit spread widenings through 2022. So it's not a time to call off the recession. It's just a time to postpone it as a consequence of this liquidity injection short term. But ultimately, we will uh, sadly so be hit by this recession, uh, I think, towards um, the second half of the year in Q3 and Q4. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. And if we look at the link between the economic momentum, financial markets, and the purchasing manager indices that we use to gauge the economic momentum, then um, I would argue we receive new information week after week that the U.S. growth momentum is still fading. Uh, we received an update on the so-called leading economic indicator from the conference board this week uh, with a print of minus 1% month over month, which historically correlates with a level of in between 40 and 42 and a half on the ISM manufacturing index just one to two months from now. Uh, so we still see downside in economic activity despite this liquidity injection short term uh, that has helped markets rally through the beginning of the year. And um, if we go in details, um, the manufacturing sector will likely suffer still, but the worst of the momentum may be behind for the manufacturing sector. The manufacturing sector is already printing below 50 in most um, gauges uh, of PMIs, which means that the sector is already contracting. So it is not even slowing anymore. It is outright contracting on a monthly basis. And if we use the leading economic index uh, from the conference board and the uh, yield curve, 12 to 18 months ago, we get to a level of around 45 for the ISM manufacturing in the months ahead. So clearly in contractionary territory. The big issue for the economy is that we now also get to the conclusion that the service sector, 80% of the economy roughly, will also be hit by a contraction in say three months from now roughly. I again use the leading economic index and the lacked consequence of interest rate hikes from 2022 as an indicator for the ISM service index. Uh, so the index with the sort of broadest exposure to the US economy. And here we get a conclusion uh, relatively close to what we uh, get in the manufacturing sector. We will see levels below 50 in the ISM service sector 
uh, over the course of the spring. Uh, and that is uh, ultimately what is called a contraction or a recession. Uh, so I think this recession is still likely to occur. Uh, the timing of the recession was postponed by this Chinese reopening by the liquidity injection from the U.S. Treasury. But ultimately, the recession is um, sadly still likely to hit the U.S. economy, probably by early Q3 at the latest. And therefore, I want to conclude with a broad roadmap for U.S. equities in light of this discussion on liquidity injections and subsequent withdrawals. Short term, we've seen how this liquidity injection has spurred life back into Tesla and other high beta stocks in the consumer discretionary category, in the tech stock uh, category, and other uh, equity classes with a very bad performance in 2022, while some of the more defensive sectors, utilities, healthcare, consumer staples, they've have had a, a, a flat beginning to the year. Uh, I think that's a consequence of portfolio managers being positioned in these asset classes, at um, the sort of as a consequence of the outlook of a recession, and now they are moving their exposure to more risky assets such as tech and consumer discretionary. But if I'm right that um, the liquidity situation will turn around again in three months from now, then I think some of these more defensive sectors such as utilities, healthcare, and stables will be back in fashion. But for now, as I've said over the course of the past three weeks, I would ride the momentum in equities. I would write the momentum in commodities and I would write the, moment, uh, the momentum in terms of a weakening US dollar. Those three things go hand in hand with a liquidity injection. And I'm still very firm that we will get that liquidity injection from the US Treasury in February and March. But according to the Chris Waller rule from the FOMC, we should expect liquidity to dwindle into the autumn. So uh, sadly so, we will not... Um, get through 2023 without clear volatility in equities again, if this Waller rule is right. So that was all for the fourth edition of Steno Signals. Um, once again, I would like to remind you that this is not financial advice. This is a window into my thinking on dollar liquidity and other global macro themes. I cannot guarantee you that my time horizon is the same as yours, that my risk appetite is the same as yours. So do your own due diligence and do your own research on dollar liquidity on the back of this video. We will be back again next week with another update on the most important global macro themes and how I ponder trading them. Thank you for watching this edition of Steno Signals. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.